morning. Good morning, Rabbi Kisselman. Um, just before we begin our customary sound check, make sure you can, I'm audible. It's all good. Thank you. Um, just before we begin, I can see someone's profile picture in the corner there, uh, standing next to a whole row of uh, barrels in a, some, some sort of cellar. Um, it, it, it does look quite intimidating to me because it means that there's an expert in the field who's uh, taking close tabs over here. So uh, I, I, I apologize from the outset. My knowledge of the distillation process is very limited, but I will try and distill something else from this conversation if possible. So thank you very much to everyone for joining us. I, indeed, uh, Rabbi, uh, <laughs> Rabbi Kesselman, uh, and to the, the, the Bourbon rabbi as well. It is a quite a, 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 I won't say a difficult topic, but it is a, an intricate topic. And the, the purpose of this exercise is not only to come out with the, with the halacha and to show what, what the halacha could be, but it's also a pedagogic experience. Um, to enable you to take a look at halacha that you have learned in application. Uh, some are musmachim, some of you have already gone through Bosa Bacholov, Taruvas, and I'm not quite sure where you're all holding in, in the program, but this is definitely an exercise that is going to put your knowledge of Issa Veheta to work. We're going to be touching on areas that you've all covered, whether it's Tamke Iker, Siman Tzadiches, whether it's Noisen Tamlif Gam, Siman Kuf Gimel, whether it's uh, uh, parts of Tzadik Tes, um, parts of Kuf Hay. This is a, uh, a tutorial, really, of how to take the knowledge of kashrus and how to apply it practically. So without further ado, let us begin by first presenting the, uh, the issue and the, uh, the, the process by which Scotch whiskey is aged in sherry casks. To my limited knowledge, but after some research, what we can understand simply is that the whiskey is first left in bourbon casks to age, and then the whiskey is removed and finished in oak casks that have been previously used for sherry. Sherry being an issue of stomach of wine that has been handled by non-Jews. And when it comes to the, the, the finishing of some of these Scotch whiskies, the purpose of the sherry cask is a dispute amongst certain pundits in the whiskey tasting. And some claim that the purpose of aging or finishing the whiskey, letting it stand in sherry casks, is to absorb the flavor of the sherry so that it will have the uh, the bouquet of the sherry within the whiskey and leave that subtle aftertaste. Some experts claim that it isn't really the sherry that is necessary for the whiskey, but rather the purpose is to sterilize the oak, and it is the oak flavor that is meant to infuse the whiskey that is enjoyed. And then there are some experts that claim that the sherry together with the oak taste and the tannins of the oak cask provide a, a richer taste to the whiskey. And so from the outset, it must be noted that even amongst the experts, it is not clear cut what the function of the sherry is in the distillation and the aging process, 
However, we will take into account all of these opinions in time. And that is part of a halachic analysis of such that when it is difficult to determine the metzias, when it is difficult to try and determine with accuracy what the uh, the actual circumstances are and the the, uh, the physical or chemical circumstances are, then we need to consider everything in an analysis, and that's what we're going to do. So this discussion is quite nuanced, and it is quite quite vast. As I said, it's going to take us through uh, nearly all of the areas of Bosa Bacholov and Taruvas. So before we could get into the discussions, we are going to be breaking this up into three parts. Today, we're going to take a look at two out of the four reasons to be lenient, why whiskey that is aged in sherry casks should be permitted. We're only going to take a look at two out of the four today. Next week, we will take a look at another two reasons why the sherry or the next next month, uh, we will take a look at another two reasons why the sherry cask should not be a problem. And then in our third and last discussion, we will try and argue against the three, the, the four reasons, and we will bring reasons against permitting the sherry cask, and then we will reconcile and we will recapitulate. Um, but I'm not going to uh, break the surprise ending at this point of the conversation. We still have, uh, still have much to get to. So for today's discussion, we're going to take a look at two of the four reasons as to why the sherry cask should not pose a problem. There are four issues that we can find with whiskey that has been left to soak in a sherry cask. Now, as you, you know from Kufhei, from Simon Kufhei, that Kovushkamavushal, that cold liquids that have been left in a clea in a any vessel for an extended period of over 24 hours, that the liquid is able to get into the walls of the surface of the container and also draw out the flavor of what's inside the walls of the container. So our beginning of Simon, which involves Simon Kuvhei, is Kovush. And in the course of the aging and the and the finishing, the whiskey is going to be drawn into the walls of these sherry casks. And in addition to that, the whiskey is going to draw out the flavor within those sherry casks into the whiskey. So there are four issues that we need to address as to whether the whiskey is in fact affected by the flavor of the sherry. And that is as follows. Number one, we need to address whether yen or stam yenam, yen okum, wine that has been handled by a non-Jew and has become forbidden, if that wine is forbidden under all circumstances, or is there a point where the wine is no longer considered forbidden wine? That is our first issue. The second issue is if the wine and uh, if the sherry is in fact bottle bashishim, if there is 60 times the amount of the sherry, then what if the sherry can still be tasted even after there's 60 against the sherry? Would the sherry still be considered forbidden? The third issue that we need to address is how do we go about defining taste or tasting something in halokha? At what point is the taste of an isr strong enough to be considered present? That's the third question. And the fourth question is, 
what happens when you have various tastes in one mixture and you may have come across the concept of zevazegoirem of how the tastes two different tastes which influence the final taste interact with one another and these are the four issues that we will uh, address and that we will see where the leniencies lie in this uh, this type of whiskey so as mentioned today we're going to take a look at the first two issues which is the probability of wine changing in composition and therefore changing in halacha and the second issue namely taste after you have shishim after six after bitl shishim and after 60 against the flavor so our first issue and our first rule regarding wine and the interaction of wine with other liquids we begin with the gomorrah in avodazara the gomorrah discusses wine that was handled by a goy and maybe even yenesek itself maybe even wine that was used for idolatrous purposes if that wine has to fall into a liquid it is bottled if the wine of the goy falls into kosher wine then minbe minoy if they're the same there's no room for bitl however if wine falls into another liquid then the the mishnah says that that wine is bottled not only if it were wine that were handled by a, a non-jew but the gomorrah also brings the case of truma wine wine that was produced from grapes that were truma and those grapes and that wine from those grapes was uh, earmarked for a kohen if that wine falls into water then that wine is also bottled in the same way as wine that was handled by a goy so this is the gomora in avodazora daf ein gimel amud base and the gomora doesn't give us uh, proportions it doesn't tell us how much wine or how much water the wine would be bottled if it fell into the amount of water necessary to mavatel the wine is subject to a three-way machloikus in the rishonim the first opinion is the rambam the rambam holds that if wine yain whether it's the wine handled by a goy or whether it was wine from truma all isur wine that falls into water is bottled bashishim it's bottled in 60 parts like all isurim like all cases of lach balach like all cases of taste transfer or liquids the second opinion is that of the rivet the rivet holds that there is a difference between wine that became forbidden by contact with a goy and wine that is forbidden for a non kohen to eat uh, to drink uh, by by virtue of truma wine which is forbidden by contact with a non jew needs to be bottled the shishim needs 60 parts water against the wine it is a regular issur a regular forbidden food however when it comes to truma wine all truma products are only bottled by maya only bottled in 100 and so there needs to be 100 parts water against the truma wine so that's the second opinion the third opinion is that of rabenu yitzhak the re and the re holds that whether it's wine that became forbidden by contact with a non-jew or whether it is wine that that is uh, forbidden as truma wine is bottled if it falls into six parts water so quand in extreme whereas the rambam is calling for 60 parts the rivet is calling for maybe even 100 parts the re rabenu yitzhak maintains that this wine will be bottled if it falls into six parts water and that's what 
that was the quantity that the Gomorrah was referring to when it said that wine into water is bottle benoisant time. The wine falling into water is bottle if it cannot provide flavor, which the re translates as if the wine has become spoiled by the water. That at a certain point, if there's one part wine to six parts water, the wine has become diluted, diluted to the point that it is what he calls kiyua ba'alma. It is soured the water. It has become like a, a, uh, a sour liquid, a sour mash, but not an alcohol anymore. And so wine in water, according to the re, is bottled six parts to one. The halocha is like the re. The Rashba, in his Torah Sabais, quotes the re and holds like him. As do other Rishonim. But coming down to what's important for us, the Machaber in the Shulchan Aruch, also paskins like the re. And Simon Kufla Zayin in the halochas of Yain Okum, of wine handled by a non-Jew, the Mechaber holds that wine is bottled in six parts water, as does Rabbeinu Yoyna, the Yisavaheter, as do the Shach and the Taz, as do many other Achroinim off the page, all agree with the Re that wine in water is bottled if there are six parts water against the wine. Now, by omission, the Ramah also must hold this way. The Ramah, who would always disagree with the Shulchan Aruch, where he felt it was necessary to state so, the Ramah does not disagree with the Machaber here at all. He concurs that wine is bottled in six parts water. And so from the beginning, we see that wine is treated somewhat differently to other forbidden liquids because all forbidden substances that dilute and diffuse into permitted foods, whether it's a liquid that diffuses into another liquid or whether it is the taste of forbidden food of Isser that cooks into and spreads into heter food, permitted food, wherever there is a taste dilution the taste of the forbidden food will only be bottled after there is 60 times against the the latter whereas with wine we see here wine is bottled in six parts water one doesn't even need 60 against the wine that is our first point to consider in this discussion now before we continue we, we note that the Taz in Simon Kuflam at Zayin, the Taz raises an issue with the Ramah because the Ramah's acquiescence to the Mechaber and holding that wine is bottled in six parts water contradicts something that he wrote elsewhere in the Shulchan Aruch. Because we find in Yeridea Simon Kuf Yud Dalit that the Ramah holds it is forbidden to purchase certain alcohols from non-Jews because those alcohols contain mixtures of wine within them and there is not 60 times alcohol against the wine. Now, the Ramah is contradicting himself because here he states quite clearly that wine is only bottled in 60 parts, other liquids, other, other beverages. Yet when it came to wine in water, the Ramah didn't say anything. He acquiesced and it concurs with the Mechaber that six parts water suffices. So there is a contradiction within the Ramah. The Taz points out this contradiction and therefore the Taz holds that when it comes to the Ramah, it's not clear, but the Taz himself holds that the halokha is like the re, wine is bottled in six parts water. 
the Shach in his Nakudus HaKesef does provide an answer for the Ramah. And he holds that when wine falls into water, and specifically water, it is only there that six parts water suffices against the wine. However, if the wine has to be added to other alcohols, to other beverages, then there needs to be 60 times the wine. And the reason is that water spoils the taste of the wine. The wine becomes pogum. It becomes undrinkable. And therefore, six times amount of against the wine suffices. However, when it comes to other beverages, other alcohols, which can enhance the flavor of the wine in some way, there the, uh, the Ramah holds that it is enough to have uh, there, you need 60 times the amount of the wine to ensure that the wine will be bottled bashishim like all good tasting isurim, forbidden foods. Okay, so this is the background to what we're about to discuss now. Again, before we continue, we started with the Gomorrah, we went through the Rishonim, and we narrowed it down to being that the halacha is when wine is mixed with other uh, liquids, as long as there is six times the amount of wine, the wine becomes pogum, the wine becomes spoiled, and thus loses its forbidden status. When it comes to wine that is added to other beverages, not water, here we find a bit of a discussion. The Shach maintains that other beverages enhance the flavor of the wine, and therefore we need the de facto amount of shishim, of 60, against the wine. But when wine falls into water, and only water, is it spoiled by six times the amount of water? The other achronim don't necessarily agree with the shach on that point, but let us say that it is a machloika shach and taz. Let us at least say that there is a discussion. After this background, let us proceed to analyze these opinions. And let us take a look at some of the, uh, some of the principles that you have already covered in Simon Kuf Gimel in the, the section dealing with Noisen Tam Lif Gam. means that if an, a forbidden food emits a foul taste and it is difficult and nearly impossible to eat the mixture because of the taste of the Isser or the combination of the tastes between the forbidden food and the permitted food, then you do not need shishim, you don't need 60 times the taste required, since noisentam lifgam is mutter, a foul taste is uh, permitted on its own without the need for bittel. So that's what we learned in Simon Kuv Gimel in the laws of noisentam lifgam. And this raises several questions. The first question on Rabbeinu Yitzchak is how can he maintain that water is able to render the taste of wine pogum, sour and all and uh, off tasting? We don't find anywhere that water is capable of making other foods or other flavors pogum, sour. On the contrary, water is tasteless. Water is just a, uh, just, just provides a space for flavors to spread. But we never found anywhere, not in Kuf Gimel, not anywhere, that water has a deleterious effect on the tastes of foods. So how can the re maintain that water is capable of ruining the taste of wine. The second question is that when we look at the literature, it seems quite the opposite. Not that water has an adverse effect on the taste of wine, 
But on the contrary, we find that water improves wine. For if we look at the halachas of brochas, we have a gemara that says quite quite clearly that it is necessary to dilute a strong and, uh, wine. It's not possible to drink wine neat. There has to be some level of dilution. So water is in fact capable of tempering the flavor of wine and making wine more enjoyable. Does that mean that if one adds six parts wine, six parts water to wine concentrate, that the wine is now no longer considered wine? That's not the case. We find quite the opposite, that wine becomes uh, drinkable and it becomes wine in the so far as the broch of Bereprigofen at that point, only after dilution. So how can the re, the re maintain that adding wine to water or water to wine and six parts water to one part wine at that is going to ruin the flavor of the wine where we find the literature telling us the exact opposite? The third question is on the shach himself. Because the shach holds that wine, which is uh, it's wine which is added to other beverages, as we, we mentioned earlier, does those beverages do not affect the flavor of the wine. And therefore, there needs to be 60 times alcohol against the wine. However, elsewhere, in Simon Kuflamet Zayim, Sivkotten Tesvov, the Shach says something else altogether. Beverages, alcohol, which has been stored in vessels belonging to non-Jews, that the non-Jews have used for their wine, are permitted even if these alcohols do not have 60 times the amount of the wine that was previously used when stored in those vessels. So clearly we find a contradiction within the Shach himself, where in Simon Kufyu Dalad, where the Shach goes to lengths to resolve for the Ramah and says that when wine is added to other beverages, other, other alcohols, that the wine needs 60 needs to be bottled to shishim, yet the shach holds clearly that where uh, alcohol is stored in utensils that were once used for the goy's wine, then shishim is not even necessary anymore. There's no need for any tenets of bittel. There seems to be a contradiction. Now, the truth of the matter is there are many different uh, questions. There's really lots of questions that we could ask on the Gemara, on the Rishonim, but let us focus specifically on what's going to influence the Halacha at the end of the day. So there were these three questions as to, number one, how does water make wine pogum? Number two, surely water does the opposite and improves the flavor of the wine. And number three, the Shach seems to contradict himself that wine in other alcohol needs bittel b'shishim, or it doesn't need bittel b'shishim. Not clear from the shach. So to answer these three questions, we need to take a look at the phrasing of the of uh, Rabbeinu Yitzchak, and that if we look and we understand, Rabbeinu Yitzchak was not drawing from the principles of Noisa as we discussed in Simon Kuf Gimel, means that foods interact in such a way that they produce a taste and an odor which is off-putting and which no one wants to consume and which makes the foods uh, inedible and makes the mixture unfit for human consumption. That was Noisentam Lifgam. However, that's not what Rabbeinu Yitzchak is using when he's describing the effects of water on wine. Wine is a very sensitive beverage. 
You can only store wine in certain vessels. If you store wine in gold or in metallic vessels, it will ruin the bouquet of the wine. Wine is temperamental. And it is a sensitive type of beverage. And any slight impurities can render the wine undrinkable or sour or make the wine un unfit for drinking altogether. And so this is what the re meant when he said that water has this type of effect on wine. Not to say that when there are six parts water to one part wine, that the wine has become spoiled and undrinkable. What he meant was that the wine can no longer be enjoyed as wine. In the times of the Talmud, the cultural significance of wine is stated quite clearly in many different Gomorrahs, particularly the Gomorrah Brochas, where wine that was enjoyed at the meal and before the meal, and the wine that, as a result, we make Kiddush on, on a Friday night, was enjoyed as a specific type of beverage in a specific type of way. However, a drop of wine in six parts water, where the water now has a flavor, an infusion of wine in it, but not too much of an infusion. It is merely a that uh, tart or pungent uh, taste of wine, the grape product, that alcoholic tinge that has now laced the water and has made the water somewhat undrinkable, but it has also ruined the subtle flavor of the wine. Once wine has been reduced to that type of beverage, it is no longer considered wine and therefore does not carry with it the prohibitions of wine. So whether it is wine that was forbidden due to contact with a non-Jew, or whether it was wine that, became, that was forbidden due to truma, once the ratios of wine to water are such that the water dilutes the wine, but is still not, uh, the, but the wine flavor has not infused the water properly, then the wine cannot be drunk as a beverage anymore. It is rather some sort of foreign sour entity within the water that is not considered wine and does not carry with it the various prohibitions associated with the wine. And this is what the re meant when he said that wine in six parts water becomes kiyuha ba'alma. It becomes a sour mash. It's not an actual, it's not an alcohol and it's not enjoyed as an alcohol anymore. And at this point, the wine has been reduced to something else. Although there is still a strong presence of wine within the water, it is not wine anymore. It is not yayin. It is something else. And that's what the re means by saying the wine is pogum. It is unfit as wine, not bad tasting, but unfit as wine. And that would answer the first question. For indeed, water does not render tastes inedible or uh, sour or destroying tastes in any way, water is just a, uh, is, is tasteless itself. However, the effects of water on wine is that wine has a specific chashivas, a certain degree of treatment culturally, but that treatment is only afforded the wine if the wine carries with it its uh, its characteristics and its richness and its body and bouquet. However, when those characteristics have been ruined by being diluted in, in a small amount of water, then that liquid is no longer considered wine. It's lost its chashivas and therefore it loses its uh, concomitant isurim, the prohibitions which surrounded the wine to begin with. That's what the re was referring to. This would answer the second question as well, because water is capable of enhancing wine when the wine is a concentrate and when the wine is too strong for human consumption, then diluting the wine is the way to prepare the wine for its, uh, for its role within the meals. However, 
when the ratios of wine to water are exceeded to the point that there are six parts wine against one part water, excuse me, six parts water to one part wine, then the wine loses its properties, its characteristics, its shivers, and as such is no longer considered wine with all of its, uh, with all of these surim that were attached beforehand. And with this, we can answer the third question as well, which is the contradiction within the shach, where the shach holds that wine in alcohol needs bitl b'shishim, but then elsewhere he says that uh, such does not need bitl b'shishim. And the answer is, if we look closely, the shach is dealing with wine itself. When the actual wine is uh, an ingredient in an admixture with other alcohols, then the wine is still strong. And when it combines with the other alcohol, the wine can provide bouquet or it can provide body to those, uh, to those alcohols. And it is then that there needs to be shishim. There needs to, one needs to ensure that the flavor of the wine is bottled. However, when the wine is not wine itself, but rather bleus of wine, when the wine was originally stored in utensils, and it is the flavor of that wine that is drawn into the walls of those utensils, and then after time, those utensils are now used to store other alcohols, then the bleus, the absorbed flavor of the wine that is now drawn out into those beverages becomes ruined. There's not enough body, not enough substance to the bleus, to those uh, deposits of wine within the walls of the barrel that have now become uh, absorbed into the alcohol, those bleus are now tainted and are now ruined. And that wine residue within the barrels, within, within the, uh, the alcohol, has now become distorted to the point that bleus are no longer considered wine. And so what we come out with from the first part of this discussion the first issue is what is the effect of liquids on wine? And in particular, what is the effect of liquids and other beverages on bleus of wine, wine flavor within the walls of utensils that have now become uh, drawn out into the beverage? And the answer, as we've seen, is that wine bleus in particular, are ruined and are therefore uh, bottled in a way, only if they if don't even need bittle. The wine bleus are ruined within six parts beverage that isn't wine itself. And according to everyone else, even the actual wine that is added to alcohols doesn't need 60 since the alcohol ruins the wine itself, the wine taste itself. So this is the first rule and the first issue that we will resolve, which is what is the effects of alcohol on wine and what would the effects of whiskey then be on sherry if it is the sherry that is imparting its flavor into the, the barrel, from the barrel into the whiskey. And that is as long as there is six times whiskey against whatever sherry could be uh, soaked out of those barrels into the whiskey, and there usually is six, is six times whiskey, the contents of the, the whiskey barrel against the sherry bleus, then those bleus, that absorbed flavor of wine that now uh, Im, Im, uh, impregnates the whiskey is ruined it, its flavor is now reduced and is no longer considered or classified as wine and thus loses whatever prohibitions were originally associated with that sherry. The sherry now becomes permitted. It's like it became pogum. It's like it, uh, that sherry flavor became ruined within the whiskey. And that is our first, uh, first line of leniency that whiskey in sherry casks should be permitted. 
so that was the the first first line of logic and that was the first issue and principle of why it is that sherry casks should be permitted now for those of you who are thinking of turning off the shear at this point and never coming back to listen to the rest of the shear because you've heard enough, you've heard what you needed to hear, and you're going to celebrate and drink to that with a nice uh, a nice sherry-aged whiskey, please don't, please remain until the end of this discussion and all of the others uh, before we crack open the barrels and celebrate. There's still much more that we need to get through. So that was the first issue of the effects of beverages on Yain Okum on forbidden wine. Let's take a look at the second issue. The second issue explores the flavor of forbidden foods even beyond Shishim. We begin with the Gomorrah again in Avodah and and the Gomorrah states that spices of uh, vegetables that were truma, spices from uh, various plants that were forbidden to eat due to truma, those spices are not bottled in any amount. And the Toysus gives the reason because you will always taste these spices within the mixture. Now, we learned in Simon Tzadiches the principle of Tam Ki'ika, that when one tastes forbidden foods in other foods, then all of the food is forbidden to eat. One is not allowed to taste forbidden foods, whether it is by eating the forbidden food itself or whether it is eating few other foods that were infused with the flavor of the forbidden food. Ordinarily, shishim, ordinarily having 60 times the amount of uh, permitted food would ensure that the flavor of the forbidden food would not be tasted. So that is the norm. With, norm, with most foods, 60 times shishim will ensure that the flavor is not going to be tasted anymore. And that is the basis of bitl shishim. However, there are certain strong tasting foods Foods which are avidi latina, foods which are not eaten on their own, they're too pungent to eat on their own, but they are used as ingredients within mixtures to provide flavor. And those strong tasting foods can always be tasted, even if you have 60 times food against them. Those types of foods are not bottled bashishin. And so a strong tasting food like onions or spices or davacharif, are not bottled bashishim since they are made to provide flavor. They are added to food in order to enhance the flavor, specifically because the flavor is pungent and can still be tasted in any amount. It would require a, a rather significant, a larger amount of heter to ensure that the issa flavor is no longer tasted. And for this reason, in Siman Sadiches, Siv Tes, you may have come across this concept of foods which are vidilatima, certain foods which are pungent and which are too strong tasting and are thus not bottled bashishim. Now, when it comes to the sherry, the sherry flavor, let us say, let us go with those experts that say that the sherry flavor is supposed to enhance the flavor of the whiskey. It is supposed to add to the uh, the uh, the bouquet or the, uh, the the body of the whiskey, and therefore let us classify sherry as something which is a vidilatima. It is a type of food in this instance which is used to enhance other foods because the flavor of the sherry can still be perceptible even after you have shishim, even after you have 60 times whiskey against the sherry. 
So this is the issue, Avida Lataima. Now, how we would go about addressing this issue, let us start first with the Shach. The Shach in Simon Sif, in uh, Simon Sariches, Sif Kotnachovtes, maintains that all forbidden foods, all flavors are bottled Bashishim. Midoraisa, strictly speaking, from the Torah's point of view, all forbidden flavors are nullified when you have 60 times heter, 60 times kosher food against them. It is only midorabonon. It is only rabbinically forbidden when you have uh, strong tasting foods. Okay. Apologies, I'm going to I'm going to pause for a minute. Um, it seems that there is an issue with the the audio. Um, is that across the board? Is is everyone struggling to hear me? All right. It seems. All right. It seems. It seems that it it, it may depend on where you're. Uh, where you are, are joining from, uh, most most people are not struggling with the audio. Okay, someone said maybe it stopped in Kentucky. I don't even think in even in Kentucky. Remember, the whiskey is uh, is still still in bourbon casks. It's only finished in sherry casks, so I don't think uh, those from uh, from Kentucky would have an issue with me either today. Okay, great. So it looks like looks like we're back back on course, right? So to just to backtrack, um, the shach maintains that once you have shishim, once you have sixty times a against the isur flavor, that flavor is bottle b'shishim midoraisa. The Torah recognize doesn't recognize that flavor is there anymore. It is only rabbinically. That if you can still taste the the isur, that you're not allowed to eat the food. The shach is not the only one who holds this. Rabbi Yoyna in Isur Veheter also holds this way, and therefore the shach holds that if you can still taste something in a mixture after you have shishim, it is only forbidden midarabona. However, there are other achronim that disagree with the shach. The prima godim on the spot. Rabbi Akiva Eger on the spot, the Yad Yehuda on the spot, all maintain that if you can still taste forbidden foods, no matter how much food you have against the latter, that taste is forbidden and midoraisa. And these achronim bring a proof from the run in Chulim. The run on Daflamad Hayamud base in Chulim writes clearly that if the isur, if the forbidden food is still in the mixture and you can still taste the taste of that forbidden food, then no matter how much heter you have against the isur flavor, that flavor is still forbidden and midoraisa. So from there, these achroinim take issue and they disagree with both the shach and the isur, the heter, and holds that taste is never bottled if you can still taste it. Now, we need to answer on behalf of the Shach and the Isuvaheta. And in order to explain their position, we need to look inside the run and we, we need to do a bit of a, uh, a forensic dive, really, into the opinion of the run. Because if we look closely, the run in Chulin says that if the Gufoy shall Isur, if the piece of the forbidden food, the mamoshus, the body of the forbidden food is still inside the mixture, only then is the mixture forbidden as long as you can taste the taste of that mixture, the, the, of that forbidden food. Now, the run in his chidushin to Masech Techulin spells out quite clearly his opinion that Tam Ke'ikr is only midarabona. Now, we don't hold that. We hold Tam Ki'ikr Daraisa. We hold like Rabbeinu Tam, 
that if you can taste Isser, it's still forbidden from the Torah. However, the run is like holds like Rashi. He's amongst those Rishonim who maintain that the Torah only forbade eating the original Issa, the original forbidden food. But as to the taste that that food leaves behind in other mixtures, if you were to remove the piece of Issa and all that was left was its flavor, it is only Midrabonon, though it was only the Rabonon that forbade eating the mixture. So the run quite clearly holds that taste itself is only rabbinically forbidden. When the Isser itself is in the mixture, if it is a liquid Isser, like for example, blood, if blood has to fall into food, it's not the taste of the blood that's in the food, it is the blood itself, it is the forbidden item itself. And it is there that the run holds that there needs to be 60 against the blood midoraisa from the Torah. And only then, if you can still taste the forbidden food when there is 60, then the latter is still forbidden. However, if you were to remove the piece of the iser, the source of the taste, and all that was left was its taste, the run holds that the taste left behind is only forbidden midorabonon, only rabbinically forbidden to begin with. So let us be clear that the run has a totally different paradigm in how he deals with tastes of forbidden foods to that of the shach, the taz, the mechaber, all of the poiskim that we hold by, the halocha, who holds tamki ikad araisa, who treat the taste of forbidden foods as severely as the foods themselves. So one can't really bring the run as a disproof against the shach and the isavaheter because the run clearly has a different paradigm and a different system of dealing with flavors of Isser than do the Shach and the Isser and subsequently all of the other poiskim who we hold to be the Halacha. And this stance was also maintained by the Minchas Kohen. The Minchas Kohen was an Achron who lived at the same time as the Shach and the Taz. And he also writes a similar defense for the shach that if we're just dealing with the taste of something and we're not dealing with the actual mamoshas, the body of that item, then the item is bottle bashishim midaraisa, and the flavor that you can still taste is only forbidden midarabonon, only rabbinically prohibited. So now what difference does it make whether the taste of these foods, or these strong tasting foods, are forbidden midoraisa or midorabonon, the difference would be in a case of sophic, in a case of doubt. If you know for a fact that you have 60 times heter, 60 times food against a spice, but you're not sure whether you can still taste the spice, it may be something else you're tasting, or it, it, it could be that's not the spice, or you're not even sure whether the spice can still be tasted anymore. Maybe 60 was able to cure the taste of the spice altogether. In cases of doubt, whenever you have a suffix, then if the requirement is only rabbinic, then in case of doubt, one can go leniently. However, if it is like the Primagodim and Rabbi Kibag and Yad Yehuda, that the spice is still forbidden no matter what, even Midaraisa, then Sveka Daraisa Lechumra, then in cases of doubt, in a case of uh, Daraisa, one has to rule stringently. And since in this case we can understand, like the Shach and the Isavaheta, like Minchas Kohen, that whenever you have Bittl Bashishim, once you have 60, but you can still taste a food, that the food is only prohibited rabbinically, then when in doubt, one can go leniently. And just to give you a case that you've come across already, if you recall those who have done Siman Tzadiches and you've done Siv Base and you've learned about Nishbach, of where an Isur cooks with Heter and you some of, some of the Heter goes missing, you don't know now whether you have shishim against the isa food. So if it's min minoy, you can go lakula. Min b'sheinu minoy, you have to go lechumra. 
I'm not going to get into the details. If you know what I'm talking about, good. If not, please God, you'll get there and it'll be great. But we find over there as well, and that's Simon, where the Shach and the Taz explain a case of milk that falls into chicken, which is a rabbinic prohibition. And in a case of Sofek, in a case of Nishbach, you can assume that you're not going to have, even if you're not sure if you have shishim, you can still eat the food. And although the Ramah was somewhat strict when it comes to Basel Bacholov, it was for a specific reason. It is the exception that proves the rule. The Ramah would agree that in all rabbinic cases where the Rabbonon required a shishim or Rabbonon required a certain metric, and there's a doubt whether that metric is present, now, as I said, we're going to be drawing on extensively on our from our knowledge on Isuvaheter, Taruvas, and Bosobacholov. And now let us see how this applies to our case of whiskey aging in sherry casks. Let us say, for argument's sake, that if we had to do the measurements and taking into account what seepage of sherry would result in, and how much sherry would in fact be purged back into the whiskey. Looking at the amounts, we would probably have 60 times whiskey against what's coming out from the cask into the into the whiskey. However, what about a video timer? What about the fact that the sherry is used to impart flavor and such strong tasting foods are not bottled with shishin? They're not bottled in the regular amount. To this, we can answer that since it is a debate whether you can still taste the sherry inside the whiskey, so once you have 60 times whiskey against sherry, the need to still have bittle is at most rabbinic. And if there's a doubt whether one can still taste sherry in this amount of whiskey, so Sveikada Rabbonon Lakula, it is a rabbinic doubt which one can rule leniently on. And perhaps even the Prima Godim and Rabbi Kiva and Yehuda would also agree because at the end of the day, we are dealing with sherry, yain, uh, water, uh, wine that became forbidden through contact with non-Jews, which is at most only rabbinic. And so if there is a suffix, if there is a doubt at all whether you can taste a rabbinic Isur inside a mixture, then it is no different to the classic case of Nishbach, Minbe Minoy, the classic case of Sofek, which is a Darabonon, which, which one can go Lakula, one can rule leniently with. So the second issue is what if the sherry is a flavor enhancer and as such would not be bottled the Shishim? To that, we can answer that because it is doubtful whether one can taste the sherry at all, it would be at most a sveka or a bon on the kula. Now, for those who have a, uh, a mature and developed palate and can, in fact, taste the sherry within the whiskey, so to such an individual, maybe they would have a problem because it's not a suffix anymore. It would no longer be a matter of doubt. For once one can taste the sherry, then it is a prohibited uh, prohibited food. But to the novice, to the uninitiated who is not capable of discerning the subtle hints of sherry within the whiskey, to the layman, that would be permitted. And now, if that sounds strange, that one food can be prohibited to one man, but to another man, it is permitted, we do find such an instance but I'm going to save that for our last year, where we're going to come back and try and refute all of these issues that we are, all of these leniencies that we are building up one at a time. And we will stick to that task for now. So in conclusion, on today's discussion, we looked at two issues and two possible leniencies as to why one may drink whiskey that was aged in a sherry cask. Number one, the effects that alcohol and that beverages have on bleas, on the tastes of the sherry 
It reduces those tastes to the point where they're no longer considered wine. They lose their chashivas of wine. And once you have six parts alcohol to one part sherry, sherry is no longer considered a forbidden liquid anymore. The second issue was a vidula timer. What of the sherry imparting its flavor and can still be perceptible? Well, that would depend on the palate of the drinker. But for the most part, it is a suffix. It is doubtful whether the sherry does have a significant presence within the taste of the whiskey. And that doubt is enough of a mitigating factor. In cases, and especially according to the Shah who holds that once you have 60 times, and in our case, six times the amount necessary to get rid of the taste of the sherry, if you can still taste it, that is at most a Dorabonon and being a doubt over a matter which is rabbinic, there's room to be lenient. So for today, we have covered two of the leniencies in sherry casks and whiskey. But in doing so, we have also gone through some of the sugyas that you have encountered in Taruvas and in Basel of some of the concepts that are not strange. But now you can see them coming to life in formulating an answer and direction in a rather not thorny area of halocha, a complex area of halocha, but that's what we need to do. We need to put our knowledge to work and uh, try and uh, you know, work out the, a, a way forward. So on that note, thank you very much for joining us this morning, this afternoon, wherever you are in the world. And uh, we look forward to continuing this exercise. And as I said before, please don't stop at this point and rub your hands in glee that uh, all is now permitted and celebrate, enjoy. We're not, we're not really done. We still have some, uh, some work to do. But until then, uh, wishing you a strong month, a strong month of learning, a strong month of growth. And may our Torah go, as always, to those of Eretz Yisrael, particularly the Chayalim, that they should be taken care of and they should return to their families in safety. Thank you very much. A, uh, a good week to everybody.